All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk. My name is Bobby Kyrie. I'm joined by my regular co-host, J.D. Moore. J.D., how are you doing this evening? You know, we are doing all right tonight. So uh, I'm thoroughly th- pleased right now. I just finished watching the TCU-Oklahoma game and absolutely delighted to see that they have brought Hypnotoad in full force to basketball as well. So that uh, Hypnotic Frog now going beyond just the football arena. It's actually now going into all different phases of TCU. I know that they were working on getting some kind of copyright uh agreement with the Futurama creators and I am delighted to see that this is now taking a whole life of its own outside of the football program as well. I just love I has there been a good story on who came up with the idea of just throwing that on a sweatshirt and and watching it take off like that because that's one of those marketing stories. You know, it reminds me it's almost as delightful as, you know, the bowl season 2 bowl seasons ago with Easy Post sort of taking the ball and running with it when their bowl got canceled, but this is one of those moments that is just wonderful, kind of oddly organic in its own weird way, because no one just no one takes a character from, uh, you know, a, a mainstream cartoon and expects it to take on that kind of a life of its own. But that one absolutely did. Usually they're well, I mean, maybe it is a me. Maybe it's kind of like the gopher that I mean, the dramatic chipmunk that the Minnesota has used now for, gosh, probably close to a decade. Whenever they have field bowls, they, they throw that meme up on the the big board to distract the kicker. But this is definitely one of those that is, is a delight. And I, I hope we hear learn more about it because it's such a fun story. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, we've seen a couple of stories now talk about how Hypnotoad kind of took a life of its own uh, and how, you know, even back in 2015, TCU was doing it in that kind of way with the dramatic chipmunk effect when they would put it up on the big board to kind of distract any type of kicker who was trying to kick a field goal into the north end zone. Uh, But the fact that Sonny Dykes had it on an unlicensed sweatshirt, which I think is my favorite part of the entire story, uh, at least... Uh, everything that I've seen reported and things that I've heard directly from people at TCU, uh, Sonny Dykes never even had like a licensed, approved sweatshirt. He just showed up at practice with one of those, and it's become a whole thing at TCU, and especially to see it now in other sports as well. Uh, there's a couple of videos out on Twitter right now of the crowd reacting to one of those uh, insane videos, which, of course, they also put in one of those crazy meme videos that they've typically been doing after a TCU victory. Uh, but they did that in the middle of a game and then ultimately brought uh, Hypnotoad out on the gigantic Jumbotron. Absolutely delightful and chaotic. Uh, but to see that. Yeah, you- well, every time I. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, every time I see one of those kind of <clears throat> meme videos, because they've taken off, like the NFL's doing them too. I've always wondered, like, do they have to clear some of that stuff? Because there's a lot of images in those videos. And I'm pretty sure it's, yeah, it's somebody with a lot of creative talent just slapping them together. But I've heard some funny stories. I actually heard a story just the other day from someone who worked at um, one of the major newspaper uh, websites in the Deep South. I'm not going to name the one. But they had done this whole thing. They got less miles for an interview. They went to his house. This is between LSU and Kansas. So when he was still doing kind of like little movie clips and movie uh, roles where he's playing like a cop and things like that. So they had, um, and this never made it to any kind of public, uh, uh, they told me they were disappointed, never made it to the public because they had him act out all these famous scenes. Like, you know, oh gosh, um, Silence of the Lambs. They had him play Anthony Hopkins doing The Father Beans. They had him doing all sorts of movie roles. And then, you know, it was was a newspaper group. They had sophisticated legal representation and they were like, oh, have we cleared any of this? with the uh, copyright holders of these movie scripts. So they panicked and they didn't release anything. So like there's apparently a bunch of these recordings of Les Miles doing all of these movie, you know, movie roles and doing things that they were shocked that he was willing to do. And he was even surprised he did them. And then they just never ended up being able to use them. So and now, of course, you know, the way he ended at Kansas kind of complicated matters. But that's definitely one of those one of those kind of stories that I heard in passing that I absolutely would love to hear more about. So anyway, as we kind of go into this, there's a lot of stories. If you want to join us, talk about anything in college football, whatever the topic, we're always open to it. Just go ahead and hit request in the bottom left um, or wherever they've moved it today. And we'd love to have you join us. But JD, what are some of the stories this week that have got your attention? There's quite a few. I've been paying attention to a few myself, but I'd love to hear what is getting your attention in college football this week. 
I think one of the things that's immediately catching my attention is the fact that Nick Saban currently has to hire two new coordinators. So Bill O'Brien going off back to New England as an offensive coordinator to go work uh, with the Patriots once again. We already saw Pete Golding. He had left as the defensive coordinator to go join Lane Kiffin over at Ole Miss. So now for the first time in a while, we've seen Nick Saban kind of have a clean slate to pick out a pair of assistants to be his new coordinators. And I have just been cackling at some of the ideas of, you know, who we could possibly see as if Nick Saban wanted to go on the most absolute difficult level, who are the two worst guys he could try to pick up? And I think the common answers commonly seem to be some kind of variation of like a Brian Ferentz as an offensive coordinator or other just delightful nonsense like that. But uh, I think still in the same vein, I'm thoroughly curious to see who these picks are going to be. I think Jeremy Pruitt, uh, that seems to be a name thrown out a lot to bring him back as a defensive coordinator. Uh, seems like a possibility to be offensive coordinator. You've got a lot of options there as well. Oh, I've seen a couple of people thinking, uh, you know, like Cliff Kingsbury, if he was going to take one job in college and actually leave the beaches of Thailand, it might be for the Nick Saban school of coaches who can't coach good. Uh, But the fact that he's got both of these coordinator roles open relatively late in the coaching cycle, uh, I think it's going to be two fascinating hires of who Alabama picks next. Absolutely. If if anything, I'd be worried if I'm another coach, only because he can afford to pay a lot of money and a lot of people would be willing to take that role if uh, if for a few years, knowing that, you can bounce to something lucrative like a head coaching job or being uh, an NFL coordinator quite easily. So, yeah, I'd be curious to see. I, I, I think that is one of the more intriguing twists to this um, early offseason. You know, another story that I found fascinating is the whole Ed Reed saga. I mean, this has been just a disaster for Bethune Cookman. I mean, they make a big splash. They hire, you know, a high profile, uh, you know, FBS Miami, but also, uh, uh, you know, pro great, somebody who's outgoing, who is, you know, you I mean, it's hard not to see the Deion Sanders effect happening here because Ed Reed is a character. He was interesting. And then things just go off the rails so quickly. He makes a pair. I mean, for those of you who are probably familiar or may not be, Ed Reed takes a job at Bethune-Cookman. He, I guess, in principle, agreed to be the head coach. And we'll get to that in a second in December and then starts going there and and starts making videos social media videos being very honest i mean the guy's videos are actually excellent because you can tell they're they're coming from somewhere passionate somewhere raw and he's just he first he's saying you know the the struggle at these programs is real you know kind of echoing what some of the things that that Deion Sanders said early on at Jackson State but then he made a video that he was basically talking about how disappointed he was in in the school and how his players were cleaning up a field. Uh, it was implied a practice field. Um, some of it, I, I've heard a couple of variations on that, whether it was a practice field or not, and how his office hadn't been cleaned before he got there and railing on it. And then next thing you know, you hear that Bethune Cookman has refused to ratify his contract, so he's not the head coach. And this has been kind of... Uh, a bit of a stretch for Bethune Cookman. The school, as we've talked about in previous shows, moved with uh, Florida A&M down to. From, I mean, they j- went from the MEAC to SWAC. Florida A&M's done fine. Bethune Cookman struggled. They've had a lot of administrative issues. So this seemed like an opportunity to turn them around, and it blew up in spectacular fashion. I mean, this is just because Henry didn't need the money. He didn't need the fame. This was going to be his first head coaching position on a, a major basis because he coached. Actually, coincidentally, he coached a. Uh, high school all-star game against Deion Sanders back in the day. But this was going to be his position, and I have never seen anything blow up like that. I know some of his Instagram live feed where he told the players he's no longer going to be their head coach. I mean, he's just talking about, like, I'm walking over, over, I'm walking amongst Judas as he's telling them why he's leaving. And it is just, I was just one of the more spectacular blow-ups I've, I've ever seen. And, um I don't know that 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 story has been along with what's going on in Alabama have been two of the bigger ones this I'd say this offseason for sure. Um, Let me see here. Yeah, I think one of the other things as well that I think is just 
fascinating with the Ed Reed saga is we saw an incredible amount of success and a quick turnaround with Deion Sanders at Jackson State. He brought them a lot of notoriety. He brought them a lot of new opportunity that they had never really truly had uh, before, at least in modern college football times. It kind of seemed like Bethan Cookman wanted to kind of splash in on that. Uh, but then the fact that it fell apart that quickly, uh, I think it's just absolutely surprising to see not just a school try to emulate kind of that similar big splash, but to see it go catastrophically wrong. I mean, this is probably what you've got to go back, probably back to like the price era at Alabama for something to go like that disastrously and end that quickly before you actually have a game even start. Yeah, I agree with you completely. That's probably one of the more comparable instance or, you know, uh, I'm still old enough to remember the, uh, Oh gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh uh, Notre Dame. Um, what was the coach? The UCF. The George guy O'Leary. George O'Leary. Georgia Tech successful goes to Notre Dame. Finds out he lied about some of his uh, educational background on uh, at back when he was a, a student. I think it was a, yeah at Maine. And then that, next thing you know, he's uh, he's at UCF and eventually turns them around. But yeah, sometimes these things have twists and turns. So again, if you'd like to join our conversation, we'd love to talk to you. Um, and, and whatever you want to talk about in college football, uh, just hit request. We'll let you up and we'll have you as part of this conversation. But JD, you know, another thing that's been kind of, you know, striking to me is, is looking at the non-conference schedule games. I got kind of interested of them looked at, especially now that some of the regular season schedules are, are starting to be announced. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, one game that I'm really looking forward to only because those are two teams that have had kind of a rough season in 2022 and are going to be testing themselves fairly early is the Texas A&M at Miami game because those are two teams that had you know similar problems although arguably Texas A&M has certainly got more going on at least in terms of uh, financial wherewithal than Miami but these are two programs that that just had disastrous 2022 seasons relatively speaking um I'm looking forward to that game just to see how it turns out what what games are you looking forward to heading into this this early season? Well, again, I think just going off some of the storylines, I think that Miami-Texas A&M game is going to kind of be your very strongly circled which fan base panics most at the start of the year. Because either way, I mean, we saw Texas A&M and Miami. That was a game that should have been college game day. It should have been a gigantic, gigantic triumph in College Station. But then we saw Texas A&M stumble to Appalachian State who quite literally stole college game day from them. And then we saw Miami stumble down the line. They had the embarrassing loss to Middle Tennessee State, blown out by Florida State. Uh, and for two programs that have spent so much money uh, into making sure that their teams are supposed to be able to compete, not just for their conference, but to try to be in the national championship hunt, uh, to see that game kind of turn into nothing from this last season and to see the amount of stress that is in both of those programs, I think that's going to be a huge game in the way that we kind of saw Nebraska Northwestern this year of if you lose this game, it's time for you to start panicking. So that's absolutely high up there on my list for, uh, you know, a game that's going to be fascinating for the 2023 non-conference slate. Uh, but one of the games that I think is just going to be a sneaky good game, just looking at the schedule ahead, you're going to have to look into, I believe it's week two, uh, you're going to be looking in Lubbock for an incredible game of the Oregon Ducks traveling to Lubbock to play the Texas Tech Red Raiders. you got Joey McGuire, who has brought the first winning conference record to Texas Tech uh, for the first time since 2009. You've got the Oregon Ducks, who, you know, under Dan Lanning, they've got a lot of hope of what the program can be, what it's going to do in the next year, what it's going to do in the future, and you've got a Pac-12 that's really resurgent. You had Washington with an incredible year, UCLA, USC with some incredible regular seasons, Utah, uh, ended up winning the championship in that conference as well. Where does Oregon stack up on that? And especially going on a weird road trip for a program like Oregon. I am fascinated with that game as a non-conference game. Yeah, if they can get past Texas Tech, I think they have a good strong chance of opening 5-0 and before they go to Washington because other teams, they open with Portland State. That should be pretty straightforward. 
you know, Hawaii is, is still Hawaii. Colorado is going to be still getting used. I mean, Colorado and Stanford both have new head coaches. And then it's going to be that October 14th at Washington that will probably be the beginning of the real challenge session for them. But we have someone up here um, who'd like to join the conversation. Ice Devil of Carlsbad, what's going on? Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. Good. Hey, I was uh, going to shift the topic just a little bit. Was curious to get your thoughts on with the expansion of the playoff and the increasing size of the conferences. Uh, conference championship week to me, it just if 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 it's done in the same way, it just doesn't make as much sense when the playoff field is expanded. And I was wondering if we might see. Uh, might utilize that conference championship week more for play-in games, second place, third place teams, maybe even some uh, out-of-conference games for positioning there and give those conference champions from the regular season a bye. That just doesn't make sense. I could see a, a lot of situations in a big conference like Big Ten SEC where the uh, number one team would be better off uh, resting its players. Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, it's a fantastic question. And I think one of the reasons that I've loved this 12 system format in the way that they've put it together hey, with the top four teams. Kind of, your audio went a little bit wonky there for a second. So I'll. Uh, All right. I'll, you got uh, me on this one? Set that back up, unless hopefully it's not like last week where my audio, <laughs> I was not hearing anyone and talking over people. All right. You got me on this one now? JD, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Well, while I'm solving that, he can hear me. Great, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'll, I'll kind of, uh, I'll kind of give an initial answer to that too, because that was a good question. I am personally looking forward to seeing how this this plays out. I mean, you know, they're still important in that. Obviously, the the main conference champions are probably all going to be in. Uh, I'm not too concerned about um, about the value of that, but I think there's going to be some some edge. There's some edge cases that are going to be playing for an opportunity to not only go in, but also be in at large. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm reading up something and have to be a conference champion to be a top four seed per the Pac-12. Oh, the 12 team format. Yeah. Hey, JD, do you want to try and unmute? I want to let you kind of get back up here because that was kind of a, a, hiccup, a weird hiccup. Yeah. Can you hear me now on this one? Yeah, we can okay, hear you. Okay, cool. Y'all can hear me. I'm good on that. So, all right, let's go ahead and get back into this. So, uh, one of the big things, again, for what's going to happen with this 12-team format is uh, you're going to have to be a conference champion in order to be a top-four seed and get that first week by. That's already in the bylaws right now for this conference championship and for this playoff format that we're going to be seeing down the road here, whether it starts in 2024, 2025. Whenever that kicks off, that's what already been agreed to so if we had an example for this year like yes everybody was saying you know georgia would have been the clear number one you would have had michigan as the very clear number two uh tcu would not have gotten a buy uh because they wouldn't have been a conference champion you wouldn't have had ohio state getting a buy or being a four seed because they were not a conference champion you would have had a combination of kansas state clemson utah all putting in for a fight to get those other top two seeds to get a bye and then man what a wild playoff that turns into because then you would have something along the lines of a tulane tcu or a clemson versus ohio state you get those types of excellent games that happened before that and that's what makes that conference championship so incredible because if you look at it this way Kansas State goes into playing against TCU. Yes, they're playing for a Big 12 championship. It'd be the first time in roughly about 12 years, uh, first time to do it outside of Bill Snyder. That's an incredible story for Kansas State. But for a national parlay, they're playing for a first-round bye. That's a huge play-in as opposed to going to, you know, hey, we'll play in a Sugar Bowl. Hey, we'll play in a nice bowl game. Hey, we'll have a nice little thing that'll ha cap off this season. They're actually playing for huge ramifications in this playoff system. It's going to be a similar thing yeah. with Clemson. It's a similar thing when we had USC and Utah. Imagine Utah playing in that game because we already had a system where if USC won that game, USC goes to the playoff in the current system. If Utah won that game, yeah. they might be that outside shot to get that extra seed. And that's why I think the conference championship games, 
that's why they don't want their guys to rest because, you know, if you're in Alabama or if you're a Michigan or you're anybody else who wants to just go, eh, I'm just going to pull my guys, let them rest for the playoffs. You don't want that because you want that buy to begin with. I understand that. I wonder if instead of, uh, I wonder if these conferences could crown their champion from the regular season schedule, just like there's a few in the basketball world that do that, like the Ivy league, I believe does. And, uh, and then instead of having Kansas state play uh, TCU for the big 12 champ is you say, well, TCU earned the championship in the regular season and then have some play in games. Like maybe Kansas state plays Alabama for one of those seeds or, or something like that. I think you can make conference championship week go from, uh, you know, some meaningful games to just a whole uh, a whole collection of, of really appealing games. That is a really interesting idea. I, I, the, my only thought on that is the amount of vested interests that there are in stage and conference title games as they are, um, and the amount of money at stake. I think the that said, we have certainly seen the pandemic had the, those wild situations where games were being set up at the last second. And even um, the bowl season of 2021-2022, we saw some, uh, you know, the uh, Arizona Bowl get poached really quickly to keep the Sun Bowl alive. So sometimes things can happen on short notice. But I think the conference title games are just such an important part of the, the ecosystem for them. And I'm sure they're big money makers for the conferences in and of themselves. To, to help them maintain, you know, their own operating expenses and all of that stuff. I think it's it's an intriguing idea, but it is also hard to set those things up on on the last second, especially with the, the, the caliber of teams we're talking about, too. I mean... Well, then, if it stays within the conference, then you take a look at the Big Ten example. You say, all right, well, Michigan won it outright, so they're our, they're our champion, and let's take a look at Ohio State and Penn State. And see who might be more deserving of you know that runner-up. I, I mean, and, and really, there's nothing stopping those big conferences as they go to 14 teams, 16 teams to have two games. Uh, you know, you could take the next two from the Big Ten uh, for to see if uh, those winners would be deserving of a bid. I just, I just think it'd be more meaningful football overall than seeing you know Georgia play. Well, as the field expands to 12, I mean Georgia versus anyone. Yes, they get that that, that first round bye, which is important but um you're really making most likely in the sec the number one number two teams are going to be in automatically anyway so that conference championship week is it's just going to have a weird feeling i think once once we get to that one point. thing i will say well, your idea from a, a, a purely pragmatic standpoint in terms of getting the most conference teams in i think makes sense like certainly if you have a conference winner in like the sec they're probably going to get in no matter what why not just have the second and third place team or the two teams that seem on the bubble of getting into the playoffs simply play each other and then get one of them in. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of reasons like it would be, it would be a pretty big paradigm shift to get the conferences to, to go away from a title game. Although without entirely eliminating it, although gosh, I mean, all it takes is one conference to try something like that, make it work. And then suddenly it becomes in vogue. I just think the uh, threshold for that is is pretty steep, but it's certainly one of the more unique ideas I've heard for a, a way to try and um, to try and you know turn things in the way we think of college football to benefit getting more teams at least from a certain conference into that twelve team playoff. But it'll be interesting. I'm really curious to see how the first year goes because I think the first year or two is when we're going to see how people react to it and. To be fair, maybe by year two or three, I'd be curious to see how the ratings go as well. Because everyone's going to tune in, I think, the first year, just to see a lot more of these games and the novelty of it. I think certainly when we saw how the initial uh, CFP games went, there was a huge amount of interest. And then they, they stayed pretty high. There was a little bit of a drop here or there, but they stayed. I think most of the drop was that the next year they tried to to shoehorn some of those games into like the new year's eve spot like a little too late in the evening not even like if some of them were and i mean to an extent we had a little bit about this year but it was i think it was just too soon to try something that bold but i'd be curious to see how things look by year two and year three of the 12 year probably the 12 team playoff just to see how that goes 
JD, what do you think of the 12 team playoff? What are your thoughts on it right now? I mean, what are some of the things that have intrigued you that we don't necessarily talk about beyond the fact that it's going to be more inclusive? I mean, I think one thing that's not hyped up enough is the fact that for this first round, you're going to have on-campus games the way that college football should be played. <laughs> I, I, I still just love the idea of just looking into the future, just a wacky situation of something going along the lines of a number eight Wisconsin having to host a number nine Florida uh, in the middle of December during a gigantic Wisconsin blizzard. I love concepts like that where you're going to have crazy opportunities for cold weather for windy weather for insane weather and to kind of just get games in places that you don't see anywhere else i mean if we talk about the non-conference games that are coming up we're seeing these wild games like oregon going to texas tech or you know another example would be florida uh going over into utah uh, to double back on that home-to-home. And that's the first time they've gone that far west in a very, very, very long time. And to know that you have games that will have that type of possibility uh, and you have games where, you know, if you're even playing for, you know, you're not going to get one of those first four buys, but you're playing for the difference between seventh and ninth place, meaning you get to play for revenue for a home game that you get to keep. That keeps games so much more interesting late in the year, because, again, if we've got 12 teams, you're not just going to be looking at these conference championship games and how things are going to settle up there. You're going to start watching games like the Apple Cup, like with Washington and Washington State, because Washington, they could have had a very solid shot of trying to sleep, sneak in as a 12 seed or even higher. And if you have games like that, that's going to affect, you know, who's an eight seed versus who's a nine seed in the polling. That makes these late games so much more intriguing uh, at every single level of the sport. It goes beyond just, oh, you know, who's your Alabamas? Who's your Georgias? Who's your Ohio States and Michigans? Like, who's going to go into these championships? Suddenly you have all these side games of, wait a second, wait a second. What happens in this scenario, which just makes the games so much more fun? Man, I just, you got, you totally forgot for a second about that Utah uh, return trip for Florida to play in Rice Eccles. I am looking forward to that, but also Utah has that and then they play at Baylor. So that, that trio of, that, pardon me, that trio of teams is going to really sort itself out. And those are all teams I would, because Utah is losing a couple of key players heading into this season um but they're still utah you still can't count them out and gosh knows cal whittingham knows how to get them to play beyond their talent level but to see them host florida and then go to baylor against a team that that again kind of disappointed last season but it, it's still a team that that people think have a good chance with randa and all of that i'm very curious to see how they do in their first two games and how to see how those two teams that their opponents do as well and then they have weber state which would be straightforward before they jump into Pac-12 play, because, of course, the Pac-12 still only has three non-conference games. So there is very little opportunity for for some of these these matchups that make the sport so interesting. I mean, USC has always got one of them locked away for Notre Dame. So it's really they only get two chances. And they've got, I think, was it San Jose State and Nevada. So that's that's not going to be that much of a challenge for, for USC. It actually makes sense, though, if you know anything about the way USC does its scheduling. I've talked about it before. When they play at Notre Dame, they make sure they have two fairly straightforward, easy home games. Or if they've got a big P5 opponent, they make sure the home game is on the same day year that they're playing at Notre Dame. But this is a pretty easy, this is a comparatively easy schedule for the Trojans this upcoming season. So that actually looks good for them. Um, Let's see, again, if you'd like to, we're coming in at about half hour into our Thursday night show if you'd like to join us, we always love hearing from you. Just go ahead and hit request. We'll let you up and hear whatever you'd like to talk about in college football. There's so many topics out there. You know, one of the other games that's going to be interesting only because, and, and it's funny too, because I mean, TCU should be favored against Colorado. But the fact is, Colorado is going to come in with that game, which would have, I think, otherwise been ignored, is going to be intriguing for so many reasons. I believe. Is it the opener for both programs? Yes, Help me yes there, it is. So Colorado and 
TCU will be dueling at Fort Worth in week one. Uh, it will be the debut of Deion Sanders at a Power 5 school. It'll be the first game for TCU post-national championship appearance. And I think it's going to be one of those games where I wouldn't be surprised if Colorado uh, pulls off a big surprise over TCU because one of the big things for TCU is they're losing so much production from this team. They've lost Quentin Johnson. They've lost Max Duggan. They've lost several offensive linemen. Uh, They've lost all these guys who are so critical to this very uh, senior-heavy team for TCU this last year. And I think it's going to be one of those teams where that production, you can't necessarily bring that back in one year. Uh, And I think for what's going to happen for that game, it could very easily be a hangover game. It could very easily be a, Hey, we're still trying to fix out the kinks. You got to remember at least in this last year, when Colorado and TCU played, uh, you had a game where less than 100 yards of offense was performed by TCU in that first half next to no points until they finally open it up in the second half. Uh, So the fact that we're going to have that as an opener, I think it's a very easy opportunity to overreact to however Deion Sanders performs at Colorado. Because if you go, hey, he just went down to Fort Worth and he won a game against a team that made the national championship game, we should rank Colorado. I could very easily see that hype train going up and then suddenly crashing down as they start to play against other teams. Uh, I think it'll be a fun game to watch. I plan to be at that game, uh, but I don't necessarily see that as a, like a referendum uh, per se for either program. Uh, at least in week one, though, I think one of the other ones that I think is also going to be fascinating is, uh, you know, we talk about these games that are going to be returning uh, to different uh, home atmospheres. Man, LSU and Florida State part two on another Sunday game, but this time in Orlando, Florida, uh, instead of playing in the uh, Superdome like they did last year. Let's talk about, again, how that insane game on a non-Saturday night opened up week one of this last season uh, with mixed extra points, just general tomfoolery throughout the game, put FSU on a fantastic track. Uh, They ended up having a really nice, successful season, LSU. uh, They were able to make it back after they beat Alabama, made it to the SEC championship. Uh, But it was one of those wild and wacky games that now we get a sequel to that in another semi-neutral site game, that's going to be a lot of fireworks in week one, and it might end up taking the show once again. I agree with you. I'm actually really looking forward to that game. I'm glad it gets to be all by itself. I think this year we're going to be seeing a Florida State, because I, I I think they definitely had a great season last year. I mean, both teams really did, but I think it's going to be fun to see which of the two programs really runs with that and and has a nice bounce off of it and i think will be uh an early kind of darling in all of the uh in in college football you know gosh jd you just pointed out another game the uh is that the co oh is that ucla coastal is that yeah is that happening uh, again if we're going to be talking about games that are just Wild and away games you don't expect. Coastal Carolina opening up at Chip Kelly's UCLA next year uh, in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Man, talk about a long flight Uh, going from one coast to the other, uh, especially to see how they're going to perform uh, post, uh, you know, Jamie Chadwell, but still having Grayson McCall as a quarterback. Uh, And then for UCLA to have their new quarterback that they're breaking in, that's going to be a weird game. And I'm looking forward to that one as well. UCLA is kind of a, I mean, for UCLA fans, a very interesting kind of non-conference slate because they have that Coastal Carolina game. They're heading down to San Diego State the next week to play at Snapdragon Stadium, which other than the fact that don't, I mean, that unfortunate debut where they, they hosted their home first home game with Arizona and it was the hottest game in the history of that program and the stadium had not been designed for that. It had been designed for more evening games and San Diego weather. I've heard other than that, it's actually a really nice venue. So Snapdragon Stadium, which also has one of the best names in college football, that should be a fun game for UCLA. And then they break their streak of never playing FCS in the best way possible. They're hosting... North Carolina Central, so they've actually got a pair of money games. They they got Coastal Carolina and they got North Carolina Central, but that should be good. That should be a a, a nice game for 
for a lot of reasons. And it's going to be an exciting atmosphere in the Rose Bowl. And hopefully the fans start to come because they weren't bad last year. I still think UCLA is a narcoleptic giant in a lot of ways. I mean, when they want to be good, well, I won't say they're narcoleptic. They can actually be quite good. They, they, they could, they've had years. I still remember 98. But, man, that's going to be an intriguing game in and of itself. Um, goodness. You know, and going back to Colorado for a second, I, I am really intrigued. I, I, your idea of them suddenly upsetting TCU, because you're right, it could happen. TCU loses key talent, and then suddenly, you know, the Dion effect does that start to get. I don't know if they get ranked, but they certainly get attention. But if they, they then get two of their, their blood rivals, like their worst rivals, I mean, they've got, as non-conference games, because they have Nebraska, which, as I've said before, if you know anything about Nebraska, they're super nice fans. If you've ever been to the stadium, I've had the opportunity they're really nice to opposing fans. They they clap for the opposing team. But when you walk around the tailgates, you realize there's one team they genuinely hate at Nebraska, and it's mutual. And that's Colorado. So they're renewing that rivalry. And then, of course, the Rocky Mountain Showdown finally comes back, so they get Colorado State, which will be good in and of itself because Colorado State was hell of a disappointing team last year. I know it was a first-year uh, program, I mean, at least for the, the head coach, Jay Norvell, but... They poached him from Nevada for a reason, and, and he just did not meet expectations last season. So there's going to be a lot of intrigue for Colorado's first three games, even if Deion Sanders wasn't already there. Um, th there was going to be intrigue for that program, which, again, that's a program where it's striking to me that I, I remember reading that, you know, in the late 90s and even early aughts, it was like they were one of the top three programs of NFL talent that was playing right there as well. Oh, and J.D., you have a couple of other games you wanted to bring up there, too. And again, if you want to join our conversation about this or any other topic, just hit request. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, sure. Again, as we're going through kind of the preview of 2023 for the non-conference slate, again, we're in the offseason. We can talk narratives. We can talk changes that are going to happen over the course of this offseason. But looking into that first couple of games in week zero, week one, uh, kind of those narrative changing games, those kind of weird games of how on earth did that game get scheduled? Um, one of the things that I think is uh, curious on there is a pair of games of Power 5 teams going off and playing at G5 schools. Uh, one of them is Oregon State playing at San Jose State. Uh, and then you've also got Texas Tech playing at Wyoming in week one as well. Uh, I'm fascinated with those two uh, pair of games where you've got Power 5 games where they're not necessarily teams that are the first brand in their state and they're not necessarily, you know, the name brand, but uh, you know, you've got DJ making his debut at quarterback uh, at Oregon state, uh, but they're playing that game at San Jose state. And then Texas tech going up to Craig bowl playing at high altitude. Uh, that's going to be a fun game to watch. But I think one other game that I think is also going to be really, really intriguing is you get to reopen the Chris Peterson Bowl. Uh, Boise State goes to Washington to play the Huskies in week one. Boise State in a very strange year where they really were able to dominate the Mountain West until the championship game when they fell to Fresno State. They had a very weird out-of-conference schedule where they were dropping games to UTEP. Uh, then they had their bowl appearance uh, to cap off a very strange year overall. Uh, they go up against Washington where for them, you know, if Washington didn't lose to Arizona State last year, they would have been that team that USC would have been playing against for probably a, a, a playoff appearance. Uh, if you had a pair of one-loss teams in the Pac-12 in the situation that we had this last playoff system, uh, but Kalen DeBoer is building something out there in Seattle, and I think it's going to be a different momentum change if he can build on the Alma Bowl with a win over Texas, and you've got Boise State coming in as a regional rival. It's a game that means a lot to people in the Pacific Northwest, and especially if we see something along the lines of Andy Alvaios is able to pull off an upset out there and kind of rebuild what Boise State was known for in their tough out-of-schedule conferencing, if they're able to kind of show that they can do work outside of the Mountain West uh, and kind of try to bring some kind of glory back to the Mountain West. Uh, that's going to be a really, really fun game in week one that I think kind of will set a little bit of a tone for both programs as well. You know, gosh, there's a couple of things you got me thinking about. First of all, if USC had somehow won the Pac-12 championship, let's say Caleb Williams didn't get injured early and 
or they had an opponent that was in Utah. I, I just thought not that USC was going to go that far. I was like, they would have been the four seed. Georgia would have probably done to USC what they did to TCU, and then TCU would have still assumably played Michigan and made it through, and then they would have done exactly what they did to TCU again, and Georgia would have looked even more terrifying because it would have been like 250-point wins in a row in the playoff if USC had made it through. And I say this as a Trojan fan. I think that's exactly what would have happened. It would have been, oh, my gosh. But, you know, there's so much kind of intrigue there. You know, the Beavers have always been willing to play home and homes. I was actually, I, I looked it up. I was wondering if it was a, a two-for-one where San Jose State agreed to play it in Corvallis twice to for Oregon State to come down. But it's just a straight home and home. I think part of that is the benefit of some of these Mountain West programs. Not all of them. Obviously, Boise State and Wyoming don't quite fit into this. But they've got very good um, you know, home situations for recruiting because the Bay Area still has athletes and San Diego State's the other example of that. People are willing to go play in San Diego State. And now UNLV finally has a stadium that makes programs willing to go down to Vegas to play because you please all your alumni. I mean, it's, it's a way game in Vegas. It's like playing at Hawaii. You're doing it not only for your team, you're doing it because your alumni all get to have a opportunity, at least the more uh, moneyed alumni who would like to go on a trip to Hawaii. Get that excuse. But Goodness, you know, another thing, too, and one of the intrigue aspects of the Mountain West is, of course, the only commissioner they've ever had has just retired. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Mountain West does in the future, in the near future, under new leadership, because that's actually, I think, one of the angles that um, is going to be interesting. Because Craig Thompson, again, he's been with the conference for, gosh, I mean, again, since it started in 98, so for 24 years. So now we're going to have uh, Gloria Navarez, who's going who's gonna to be, who actually just started, pardon me, I forgot she started in January. So it's a new time for the Mountain West. And we're going to see how she does in, in getting them competitive again. Um, so, yeah, uh, again, if you'd like to join our conversation, we always love having you all up here. Just hit request. We've got at least 15 more minutes. We'd like to fill our time quite well with all of this. We've been talking about all kinds of topics. I mean, anything in college football is fair game. One of the things I know that's been a topic is just a lot of folks just like to talk about Texas A&M. I'm looking at what's popular in RCFB right now and what's popular in conversations. I mean, Bruce Feldman noted that Texas A&M has lost 25 scholarship players in one offseason. 18 were blue-chip recruits. Eight were top 100 recruits, including five-star Denver Harris and Chris Marshall. Seven were freshmen from their top-ranked 2022 recruiting class. You know, it's easy to critique that. It's kind of a fascinating dynamic that we're seeing in college football. Certainly, did some of them get the money that was supposedly thrown at that class? I'm not sure. Um there is some I'm waiting to see a nice, ugly lawsuit. I think that's what we kind of want to see to have the 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 uh, the shroud pulled away from what's going on in some of these NIL deals, because certainly, I mean, it's been talked to death. What's been happening at Florida? Was it really 13 million dollars? What was the arrangement that they were trying to use? I've seen that number bandied about a lot. Meanwhile, we're seeing in things like basketball, there was this whole feature in The New York Times magazine that um Hit their website today. I think it's going to be featured this weekend in the printed edition if you're still a person who picks up a printed newspaper. But, I mean, you know, listening to how they're able to keep that successful team together in hoops with all these NIL deals. But, I mean, a lot of that's changed the game. And and looking at what's going on in Texas A&M, I mean, some of the fans, they see that and they say, well, good for the players to, to get their back, you know. I think the uh, <laughs> I think Ewers really got everyone's attention when he took that money and then left uh, Ohio State to go to Texas. That was definitely one of those moments. But certainly um, what's going on at A&M has been part of that. I think if they start winning again, a lot of that will go away. This is going to be an interesting season for them. I know we were talking about it earlier. Seeing how that game with Miami goes will set an interesting tone given last year's games seemed to be exciting for uh, what was going on at AM, but they had so many other both programs that had their own disastrous off season, probably disastrous seasons. So this will be a great opportunity. I mean, Texas AM, they have a pretty easy game with New Mexico to open up. They go to Miami. Should hopefully be an interesting game. Good game, I don't know, but it'll definitely have the drama. Then they got Louisiana Monroe before they jump into SEC play. Again, another topic that has been of interest in college football this week has been just sort of also looking at, you know, 
a lot of these moves in in some of the uh, and I, you know one thing I did want to mention, and I know JD's had to step away from the mic for a bit, but I one of the stories in all of this nil that I found absolutely delightful is the Popeyes student, the Popeyes meme kid, finally getting his back, finally getting some money because he, I don't know if you've caught this story. I'm sure most of you have. But the kid from the Popeyes meme, the one that was the, the young kid, you know, with his Popeyes cup looking like, why are you filming me? I, in fact, I didn't even know it was Popeyes. It was just a young kid, you know, a little heavy set, a little husky, um, looking a little awkward under the camera. Well, that young man has grown up to be a 300-pound offensive lineman. He plays in D2 for Lake Erie. I think they're, uh, yeah, Lake Erie football. And folks notice that he is on a team, so... Thankfully, Twitter took ran took the ball and ran with it. Reddit did too, but I'd like to think Twitter probably had a little more impact. And Popeyes have made him one of their NIL deals, which I think is absolutely a delight. He's we're trying to figure out how much he's getting. Is that the uh, is that the biggest NIL deal for a D two player? <laughs> Might be. I'm not sure. I mean, I hope they gave him some kind of like gold card or something to let him walk into any Popeyes in America and, and get all the money he wants. I think. The estimate is, you know, and here's the funny thing. There's like the current numbers, there's roughly 520,000 NCAA athletes at any given time. I mean, over a half a million NCAA athletes, probably a thousand or so are getting NIL deals of any substance right now to be realistic with all of it, because that includes all levels. That includes, you know, D2, D3, um, but I know, J.D., you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Oh, actually, you know, and we've got someone else in the queue. We've actually got a couple of people in the queue. Let's get you guys up here. We'd love to have more voices on this and just us talking. Let's see. Triple option is king. You were up first. Would love to hear from What's you. What's up, fellas? So uh, kind of want to just uh, kind of chit-chat with you guys about the whole Trey John Jeffcoat saga, if you all have been following that closely at all. But uh, we just got another update tonight. That supposedly, even though he's committed to Arkansas, that South Carolina is still in it since he won't be able to start classes until the summer. As crazy as that sounds. So it gets even crazier and already crazy saga. Ooh, I like hearing about this. Tell us more about it for those who aren't familiar, including myself. Okay. So be careful. <laughs> I'm going to tell the honest truth as I know it. So, <laughs> hand on the Bible for this one, fellas. So, buckle up. So, basically, South, so Trajan Jeffcoat from Missouri. He's a defensive end of Missouri. He was a first-team All-SEC two years ago. And good football player, hit the transfer portal. Is from South Carolina, went to Irmo High School, which is the same high school as Nicky Miwari, who's one of South Carolina's best players. So, a local high school in Columbia. And a lot of the fan base, me included, thought that he should have been a take out of high school when Will Muschamp was coaching. Wasn't the case. So basically what happens is Shane Beamer sends out welcome home tweets, which is the commitment tweet for South Carolina football. And he sends one out referring to Trey John Jeffcoat. And everyone in the fan base that's like in the know that pays attention to it is talking about it. And, you know, everything's looking good. Jeff Coat is enrolled. He's in the email system. So, like, you typed his name in. Trey John Jeff Coat comes up. He's a student. He's admitted to the University of South Carolina. But, boom, something happens where he can't be admitted, where he can't register for classes. And this all stems back to an issue in 2019 at Missouri where he was thrown off the team. Now, the details of him being thrown off the team are not clear and there's a lot of rumor which i'm not gonna spread but if you look for yeah. it you'll find it so this rumors is about that a bunch of rumors about that but basically now he's committed to arkansas which basically proves that it's not the sec transfer rule which is like if you commit some offense at one university you can't transfer to another sec university which is like I don't know, it has a name for it, like maybe the Jeremy Musa rule or something like that. But it, you'll find it on the Reddit. I'm sure someone's talked about it before. But basically, he's now committed to Arkansas, which proves that it's not an SEC issue. It's something at South Carolina's issue. So basically, the University of South Carolina refused to admit Trajan Jeffcoat, 
even though he was admitted, which is crazy, to actually enrolling at the university, which has been a huge saga for South Carolina fans. And if you look anywhere on our message boards, whether it be the 247 or on three or rivals, anywhere you look, it's the only thing people are talking about. And it has been that way for most of the last two weeks. Oh, this is classic drama. Yeah, I'm looking at also some of the things on Twitter and, uh-huh. and such. So this is this is classic stuff. This is like, what is it? Why couldn't he get in? And now people have to kind of make all kinds of wild rumors. I'm not necessarily going to. Yeah, I agree. It's like I'm always like you, if you look things. it up, you'll see the rumors. I'm just not going to like yeah. push them on. Yeah, no, 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 no. But all of this stuff is great because this is the kind of stuff that makes offseason so fun, especially for it. So you got a guy who's good. Who should have? And I, I and especially exactly without losing Jordan Birch, he would have been a day one starter. And it's like a hometown guy coming home, which is what fans always want. You know, like you always want your local guys to play at your local school, especially when they prove themselves at other schools. You know, so Gamecock was- AP, you've been also up here. I want to hear your two cents on this because I know you've got you, you've clearly got your thoughts on it as well. So uh, I'm in a, a extremely similar boat. Um, uh, TOK and I are, we're, we're buddies anyway. So yeah, we're I mean, we already like, we, we knock heads in terms of like what's going on at this point, but yeah, we're, we're in very similar boats in terms of, uh, this situation. It, it, well, I, and I also don't want to comment in, in terms of what he's saying in regards to what actually happened. Like that's a, that's a touchy subject that I think you guys know where that's heading. Um, but in, in terms of, of the the University of South Carolina, the, if he can turn around and go two days later to the University of Arkansas, I have a real issue with that, and that that's kind of where I am as a in, in personal like as a personal standpoint. I know there's some others that are going to feel differently, but uh, there's nothing that's been proven at all to, to 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 deny him from the University of South Carolina. So that's where I have a real issue. Yeah, you know, it almost. I, I was actually going to ask: Is Arkansas like the Arizona State of the SEC? In terms of like, if it's an academic <laughs> issue, I'm that's like, never oh. been a thing before. No, it, like we know it's not an academic issue. That that I he was an all honor roll. He was part. on the SEC honor roll. Gotcha. So yeah, yeah gotcha. Yeah, no, no. I, it's just because <laughs> that's when you see people talk about credits or things like that. that that's hey, and CFB, like, well, we're South Carolina, not Vanderbilt. You know, like, like, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah you yeah, don't yeah, need yeah. a four point to get in here. You know. Well, there's been there's been famous moments like Vontez Perfect. I mean, he was a hell of a, a linebacker, but he couldn't get in the USC, and he famously couldn't. And then he ends up at Arizona State and just tears everything up. And he wasn't like he he wasn't. I'm not saying he was like completely like academically invalid or anything like that. But it just like that was a classic moment where I know before all of this happened, he was one of those guys that just sort of like he couldn't get into a prime school, and he got into a Solid school, and then and then you know got himself in the NFL. Yeah, we have another Gamecock fan up here, I think, or might not be a Gamecock fan. No, yeah, Dakota a... is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Dakota? Do you want to hear your thoughts on this topic? Uh, um, I'm sure the same boat as them, but I have more info, and it's been confirmed by a family member. So, if you want me to spill it? I will. If not, it's all cool. Up, y'all. I, I can't show. confirm what he's about to say is accurate. I, yeah. A family member did verify what he has to say. Um, is on Famously Garnet Sports Twitter page and Facebook. If you want to go there and look at it, um, they're great with the stuff. Um, but it's all up to y'all. If you want me to spill it, I will. I have no problem. Family member has no problem. He wants the truth out there, so it's all up to y'all. It's y'all's space. Yeah, go for it if you want, if you're comfortable. We'll all take uh, it with a grain of salt. Yeah. So, basically, Jeff Cope was dating a white girl while he was at Missouri. And coming to find out, her daddy was on the board of trustees at Missouri. And he didn't like them dating. And next thing you know, she called. She said he raped her. Um, I think that was Barry Odom. So, he done the investigation and kicked them off the team. After the investigation was done, nothing was found. No, there was like nothing to the story. It was like a made-up story from what I've been told and confirmed. And so they that's when he got back on the team. So, yeah, I mean, you take it with a grain of salt. Um, 
like I said, it was confirmed by one. Yeah, of those members. are things where it's it's touchy and, and yeah, it's, it's kind of like it's, it's, it's iffy it's, on yeah. So. Yeah, it's dangerous to to kind of to throw those kinds of things <laughs> so out there. You, you get where we're coming from earlier with not releasing that. <laughs> yeah, no, and I mean, you know, I those are things where you know how some of these rumors get out there, and gosh, that's one where if it were you know, and if it is heaven, if it has any legs behind it, you absolutely know there would be some college football reporters really hungry to kind of unearth that, especially those that aren't necessarily in the immediate, like, I could see, I mean, part of the problem, and, and this is just a general kind of macro complaint about the way sports media has to be, and I'm not blaming necessarily sports journalists completely for this, that it's a little bit more complicated than that, in that as the years have gone on, and this is something, I'm not just saying this, you know, without any basis. You talk to some of the really, the all the big-time national college football reporters, I've had an opportunity to kind of just sit at bars and talk to some of them at the national championship and some other events. Over the years, things have gotten a lot tighter in terms of access. They're very good at gatekeeping within some of the um, university institutions. And so a lot of journalists get nervous about reporting about certain things because then they don't get access. If you're a beat reporter, you can suddenly lose access to a team. So that, that gets it dicey. So it's harder for some of these, these stories to come out. But at the same time, certain things are just so important, so big. But at the same time, I mean, gosh, it's part of the, it's part of the pop culture zeitgeist, if you talk about it. I mean, you know, speaking of South Carolina, I mean, probably the best, one of the best college football movies of all time was, of course, filmed there, the program. And that was part of the story. If anyone watched the program, you know, you got a, the backup quarterback gets in trouble with the girl and it's like the coach's, you know, daughter or something. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, that's actually straight out of the program. You know, now that I, I'd say it out loud. But at the same time, it's like, mm, you know, sometimes it may not be coming from the local beat reporter, but there's other reporters out there that would be hungry to get that scoop that'll make their career. And that's one of those big ones where, you know, if there's any veracity to it, you'd think it would get dug up. And now I'm not stupid enough to say that it would absolutely, and things always come out. But yeah, I get it. That's a, that's a, that's a tricky one. And, and one where, gosh, just as a, as a person I am, I feel trouble trying to, to give that credence without a lot of substance because that one, and, and I just wanted to say that because, and I get it. I'm not, I'm not upset that you guys mentioned it, but I can see why, especially that's one of those things, especially that thrives on message boards. You know, like, yeah, like we're coming yeah. like, from the same page. Like we didn't want to push rumor, but that's like, that's a rumor that is like really popping off in the message boards. So that that if you're on a South Carolina message board, you've seen that rumor probably about a hundred times now. If you just open them, any of our message boards, it's the first thing that pops up. Which, which we're not we're not saying it's it's a hundred percent factual, but obviously you guys know where there's smoke, there's fire. So I, you know, and it could be all of them, and that that's the thing. It could be so many other things as well. That's the thing I would just hesitate because I mean, it's easy. That's always the classic problem. Message boards are easy to sort of let things loose. I mean, we know that. We're, we're, we we moderate the largest message board in college yeah. football. Yeah, you're so I mean, we're not. Yeah, trust me, we board. get it. But it, it gets it gets tricky. And and I've always noticed because I've been on fan boards before. You know, with USC fan boards, things like that. So you, know, I know. I mean, with pardon me, the other USC. Sorry. Uh, but you know, it's like yeah, it, it's it's part and parcel with any major program, and it's tricky. But whatever it is, I hope it's not that severe. And and if there is any truth to it, I hope we get to to find out about it. As yeah, time goes on, it's basically, it's just like the stories, like soccer, like you know, like kind of just like that's like the story that's grouping the soccer Carolina football world. Yeah, and, and, and none of none of us want that to be true at all. Like, what, no, 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 no. I'm not John saying Jeff that at all. Either. Like Trey, Trey John Jeffcote is, I, I, I want him to be enrolled at South Carolina tomorrow. I know it's not going to happen now, but. Like that, I wish that kid nothing but the best. Uh, yeah, and sometimes players have it happen, and it just goes away. I still remember. I don't know. It, it's so funny. I don't think you know. Speaking of the the Southern California, Mark Sanchez famously had an incident where he was accused, and it just kind of never went anywhere because it was a one to one accusation, and it never went anywhere. And then he ended up becoming the starting quarterback. You know, Mister Charming, and, and his career obviously is fine now. But that. That was publicized in the LA Times. I vividly remember when Mark Sanchez, as a backup quarterback, was being it was just in a lot of heat 
over something like that. So sometimes these stories end up in those situations and then they just kind of go away because there isn't enough to go off of. And then everyone's left wondering, well, what happened? Yeah, I never heard about the 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 Sanchez thing, so that's. I, oh, I appreciate do, that. don't worry, you'll find it if you Google it. It they, I mean, well, it was L.A. Times. They're big enough. That's the nice thing about. I was gonna say, like L.A. They have the ability to do that without losing access because it's still the L.A. Times. Exactly, and and I, and I was the Eagles fan, so like Mark Sanchez came through the fold, and I I understood Mark Sanchez, so I knew that happened, but I didn't understand it was him as a backup. Yeah, it was still him as a backup. Like it, it, it was, it was a. Oh, and you know, if you know anything about the history of Arkansas football, it was when it was is the backup that's going to succeed John David Booty. Is it going to be um, Mark Sanchez or is it going to be Mitch Mustaine? That was when those two guys Holy were the. Uh, I forgot. That was that was the big race. The like that was like, is it going to be Mitch Mustaine I now? That. I can't believe that, Mitch Mustaine yeah. got a documentary out of that though. <laughs> yeah. You know, I felt bad for Mitch Mustaine. He really want. He did not complain and just went and became a tight end when they asked him to be a tight end. He offered to be a punter at one time when they needed a backup punter, and then like he got to start against Notre Dame one year. And he actually played really well. And the game-winning throw, he did a long bomb that was right in the hands of the receiver who proceeded to drop the game-winning touchdown. Like, yeah. I felt bad for him. I wondered if that game had gone any differently, would that have helped him to go there? But anyway, yeah. So, well, anyways, guys, you know, it's been a little over an hour. This is typically when we wrap up. So I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping us up right now. I really appreciate um, <laughs> our three Gamecock friends yeah, yeah, who joined us at the end. <laughs> but uh, on behalf of myself, Bob Ekhairi, on behalf of J.D. Moore, thank you all for joining us. We do these every Tuesday night, and hopefully now that I've got past my own little bout of COVID, we can start planning some guests again and filling those at, at other times during the week. So hope you all have a great rest of your week. Now I'm going to hang up and listen.